Good morning and welcome to Northridge Church, man. We're excited to have you here this morning. Whether you're joining us from one of our campuses or you're engaging with us online or you're a guest just kind of checking out Northridge Church, we are honored and excited to have you here this morning. And we're in week three of a series we're calling Sacred Rhythms. And really what we're talking about is the patterns in life. You know, whether we enjoy rhythm or we rebel against it, we all have these patterns in our life that we can't avoid. They're, they're a reality in our life. But in this series, we're, we're asking this question. In the rhythms of life, what are the most important ones? What are the ones that we can't live without, especially when it comes to walking with Jesus and following Jesus and becoming a better disciple of Jesus Christ? What are those rhythms that we have to have in our life? And up to this point, we've, we've talked about two. The first one we talked about was a life-changing rhythm. It's the rhythm of God's word, spending time studying, reading God's word. And in that first week, I challenged our church to get into God's word. 66 days, create a habit in your life, jump in and spend time reading God's for 66 days. We had over 750, sign, 750 people sign up to be in God's word. And I wonder, you know, I told you at the beginning of the series that, man, about 10, 14 days into it, it's going to lose its luster. You're going to get busy. You're going to get distracted. And I wonder of how many people signed up where you're at now. Are you staying faithful and being in God's word? Have you kind of fallen off track? I don't know where you're at, but if you've fallen off track, that's okay. Let's jump back in. Because being in God's word is, is a vital piece of our walk with God. It's a rhythm we need. Last week, Aaron Hickson, our Henrietta campus pastor, he talked about the rhythm of serving. And how oftentimes that we can actually steal from the church, not on purpose or intentionally, but God has uniquely given us all a piece, uh, a unique piece of his grace to serve inside the local church. And so all of us, in order for our church to win, we have to get into the game. And we saw over 100 people sign up to, to serve inside the local church here at Northridge Church. And now we're in week three. We're talking about the third rhythm that is really sacred in our walk with God. And, and really this rhythm, I would call it the umbrella rhythm. The, the rhythm that all other rhythms that we're going to talk about in this series kind of fall under this category or this rhythm. It's the overarching rhythm. It's the rhythm of worship. The rhythm of worship. Now when you hear that term worship, let's just call it what it is. It's Christianese. I mean, it's Christian dialect or, or jargon. I mean, this is a word that you probably won't hear outside the context of a religious institute. Nobody in our culture is walking around and be like, yeah, I, I worship today. No, we only say that in the church, whether you, we like it or not. Worship is, is kind of a Christian term. And what's happened with this term is even in the church, we've kind of dumbed it down. We've kind of taken worship and we just believe that, man, worship is that 30 minutes before the message that you sing songs. And that's kind of what we labeled worship as. I think it'd be interesting if I were to do a poll of how you would define worship at all of our campuses and with those of you gauging online, I think I would get a variety of definitions of what worship truly is. And the problem with that is when it comes to following Jesus, how you define worship is crucial. What you define worship as is crucial in your relationship with God. It's a big deal. In fact, Scripture talks about worship on a continuous basis. And so how you define it 
is really vital. It's really important. And so that's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to jump to Romans chapter 12, where Paul does the definition for us. Romans chapter 12. You can go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, we'd love to provide one for you. It's going to be on page 920 in the Northridge Bible. You can jump into your app and take notes. You can pull out your program guide. You can check out the screens. Everything will be there. And Romans is, is a great book. It's written by this guy named Paul, one of the early church leaders. And Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome. And the first 11 chapters of Romans, really, Paul goes on this mission to break down the gospel and teach the theology and the doctrine of the gospel. I mean, Paul takes every nook and cranny that is included in the gospel, and for 11 chapters, he really walks through the theology, the belief system, the doctrine of the gospel. But what's interesting is as he transitions from chapter 11 to chapter 12, he makes a shift. He, he shifts from the theology and the doctrine, what we should believe about the gospel, to how the gospel should affect our everyday living, the practical side, how the gospel should transform our every single day practical living. And what's interesting is he makes the shift in chapter 12. Guess where he starts? He starts by defining this rhythm, the rhythm of worship. And we find it in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And for the next couple of moments, we're just going to dig a little bit deep into this definition Paul gives us of worship. We're going to spend our time and we're going to walk through this passage methodically understanding what true biblical worship is. And Paul starts here. He says, therefore, I urge you. Now, if you're new to the Bible and you're new to Christianity and you're, you're getting into God's word, I want you to understand sometimes when I'm reading God's word and I'm, I'm studying God's word, I often just look for words that pop out to me. Words that stand out, like, ooh, that, that seems significant. And in this small little segment, four words, I, I see the word urge. To me, uh, urge kind of stands out because Paul is, is an important figure writing here. I mean, this is the guy who's written a good amount of the New Testament. And as a Christian, as a Christ follower, anytime you see Paul urging us to do something, it probably should throw up a red flag or a yellow flag in our, in our head saying, maybe I should lean in here. Maybe I should pay attention because this is important. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, this is important. Pay attention. I desire this for you. I'm pleading with you. I'm hoping for you. And he's saying worship is the essential practice in your relationship with God. And I hope we, we understand that, and I hope we understand the gravity of that. That worship is the essential practice in your relationship with God if we define worship correctly. Now, notice I'm not talking about singing. Singing is not the essential practice in your walk with God, but worship is. And if you want to grow closer to God, you want to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to understand what worship is, and you have to live it out, because it's an essential piece of your walk with God. So the question is, is what is worship? He continues. He says, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So he says, brothers and sisters, he's including us all is what he's doing. He's saying, hey, guys and girls, single people, married people. I don't care where, what stage of life you're in, brothers and sisters includes all of us. No one gets around this. And he says, in view of God's mercy. And I love where Paul starts here. He starts with the gospel. 
He says, in order to really fully understand worship, you have to look at life through this lens, and the lens is God's mercy. The lens is the gospel. Now, let's define a couple terms, because a lot of times in, in the church, we like to take grace, and we like to take mercy, and we like to merge them together and make one word. But grace and mercy are significantly different. Grace is when God gives you something you don't deserve. Now, mercy is the exact opposite of that. Mercy is when God withholds something from you that you do deserve. And when Paul says, in view of God's mercy, what he's saying is, is true worship looks at life through this lens where you realize that you are a sinner. You're a sinner who deserved death, separated from God, but God showed you mercy. He took your punishment that you deserve that should have been placed on you. He withheld it from you, and guess where he placed it? On his son, on the cross. Because worship starts with your grasp of the gospel. Worship starts when you realize that God intervened on your behalf and his son paid the penalty that you couldn't pay, that God withheld something for you and gave it away to his one and only son. Have you ever experienced mercy? Mercy will shock you. Mercy will, will take your breath away because it's unexpected. You see, when I was 17, I just got my driver's license and I started driving and I've always been a truck guy. I, I just always like driving a truck, not some fancy truck. I just kind of like a beater truck that I can throw wood in my tools and just kind of drive my truck. And it started at once when I was 17 years old, I drove this beat up Dodge Ram or Dodge Dakota. It had these like green and yellow racing stripes. It had these Razorback windows. Man, I thought I was the coolest kid driving this truck. And so every day I would drive to high school, and in my high school we had this circle drive, and, and I parked right on halfway through the circle, and in my high school, I know a lot has changed, it's been a while, unfortunately, for me, but in my high school during uh, lunch, you could leave and go to lunch, and as long as you made it back to your class on time, you were fine. And so I would, it would be lunchtime, I'd grab my best buddy often days and we would go eat at someone's house and we would have lunch and come back to school. And so one day I grabbed my best bud, Joel, and we jump into the, my truck and I'm getting ready to back out and, and I'm new to driving, I'm only 17 years old. And, and so I'm waiting for all these cars to go by me so I can back up. And there's this black truck that drives by, there's no other cars coming. And so I throw my car or my truck into reverse and you know, I'm new to driving, you would think I would look behind me before I started backing up, but I didn't. I was just like, let's get out of here as fast as we can. It's lunchtime, you know? Much how you guys feel about church at 1030. You're like, hey, it's lunchtime. You better end this quick, Drew. <laughs> anyway, I'm back into the story, and I'm going in reverse, and what I didn't realize is that the truck that drove by me stopped and threw his truck in reverse and backed up behind me. And so as I'm backing up, I hear this crunch and I hear this loud scream. And I look behind me and it's my buddy Kyle being pinned between the door he's coming out and my truck slamming against him. And so I throw in the drive and I go forward and I get out. I make sure Kyle is okay. He's okay. But the truck door was mashed and mangled. And all I could think about was a 17-year-old boy is, what is my dad going to say? I didn't want to have that moment where I was like, hey, dad, uh, school was great. I, I wrecked into a car, but I got an A on my math test. 
because I knew it was going to cost, and it was going to be expensive to fix. And I thought, hey, I'll probably never drive again. Like, my dad's going to ground me for the rest of my life. I'll never get married, and my life is going to fall apart from this moment on. And so I remember that moment where I just looked at my dad, and I was like, Dad, I, I blew it. I wasn't paying attention. I, I just backed up, and I almost hurt somebody, and I, I wrecked some guy's truck. To make matters worse, just so you know, my dad's an insurance agent. <laughs> so, yeah. Dang it, right? <laughs> and my dad looks at me, and he was like, you know, you made a mistake, Drew. And here's the good news. I'm going to pay to fix the truck, and you can keep driving. Because I think, you learned your, your, I think you learned your lesson. And he showed me mercy. He paid the penalty that I deserved. And what Paul is saying in this verse is we have to realize to truly step into worship, we have to look at life through that lens. That every day we need the gospel. We need to be reminded that God paid our penalty that we couldn't pay. And he bestowed it upon his son. He withheld it. And to understand worship, we have to look at life through that lens. But he continues... He says, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. And Paul right here, he, he shifts. He shifts in his definition of worship because up to this point, he's saying, hey, this is essential. This is significant. This is important. And you have to view what God has done for you to understand worship. But now he makes this significant shift. It's a shift that we don't like because now the, the onus comes on us. Now we were all good. Hey, oh, it's all about what God has done for us. And now Paul says, hey, there's a requirement of you to step into worship. It's you have to offer your body as a living sacrifice. You see, one thing we don't like about worship is worship demands sacrifice. Worship demands sacrifice on our part. If we were, are just real and authentic, we don't like that. I don't like that. I like the part of worship where God was doing everything for me. But now you require sacrifice of me. This is where it gets hard to really truly worship because Paul tells us we have to offer up the thing we love the most. And if you don't know what that is, that's you and that's me. We love ourselves the most. In life, that's the reality. We are selfish. I'm selfish, and I love me, myself, and I the most. And Paul says, hey, you got to lay you on the sacrifice table. you got to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And if we're honest, that doesn't sound fun. If we're honest, we don't want to do that. But worship demands sacrifice. And I think for a lot of us, that's why we don't fully ever experience true worship because we're not willing to sacrifice us for the sake of Christ. But Paul also uses this term, he says, as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Now those two terms are almost oxymorons. Because you got to understand the culture he's writing to. Sacrifice, sacrificing animals was a, a, a rhythm in their culture. I mean, you think of the Christians in this time frame. They were following the Old Testament law. And that, in the Old Testament law, sacrificing animals was a regular part of their routine. Even the non-Christians in Rome, they would sacrifice to multiple gods on a regular basis. This was normal. But what was unique, what would have stood out to them was living sacrifice. You see, the whole point of a sacrifice was for it to die. 
for it to, to die on the altar. And what would happen in the Old Testament is they would offer a sacrifice to worship God and they would gather together and feast that sacrifice and fellowship to worship God. But what wouldn't have made sense to them is, wait, hold on, you're asking me to give up my life as a living sacrifice? How does that work, God? How do I sacrifice myself and still remain alive? And what Paul is doing right here is he's reminding us, he's saying worship reminds us of the life Christ has given us. And I want you to understand something really true about worship and, and just following Jesus is we think and we're afraid of sacrifice. When we are giving up something, but we don't understand about sacrifice when it comes to Jesus is actually when you give up, when you offer your body as a living sacrifice, you actually get it back and you get it back better. You get life when you offer up your body. God doesn't ask you to, to die on that sacrifice altar. He says, give up your life and I'll give it back to you and you'll get it back to the fullest, to the life abundantly. That's what scripture says. God came to give us life and give it to us to the fullest or more abundantly. And so what we don't realize is, yes, we are sacrificing our wants and our desires, but when we do that, when we give God our lives in true worship, we actually get life in return, better life, more significant life. And I feel like we miss that sometimes. And so Paul ends. He says, this is your true and proper worship. You see, worship is an essential piece of your walk with God. And it's, it's not about you. It's about bringing God glory. Essentially, that's what, why we were created. If you're a Christ follower, you were created to worship. And so let's define worship. I would love for our church, Northridge Church, to have unity in the definition of what God's word says is worship. Because at the end of the day, you have to understand something about Northridge Church. It's not about what we think. It's not about what Drew thinks. We always go to the word of God for our definition. And here's what worship is, is worship is a rhythm of daily surrender to God. Worship is this rhythm. It's this pattern in your life where every day you wake up and you say, God, okay, today's about your plans and your will and your desire for my life. And what you do is you push aside your dreams and your desires and your wants and you say, God, I'm going to surrender fully and completely to you. It's this rhythm in life of surrender. And here's this paradigm shift. Here's why. If worship is really this rhythm of surrendering to God on a daily basis, here's what this means. Here's a paradigm shift for a lot of us, is you can worship God in all things and in all places. You can worship God in all places and in all things. It has nothing to do with singing. I mean, you can Worship God through singing, but it's not narrowed down to singing. Do you realize this today? This will be a paradigm shift for some people. Is you can worship God by doing laundry for your family. You can worship God by mowing your lawn. You can worship God by showing up in your cubicle on Monday morning. You can worship God as a single person, as a married person, as a teenager, a middle schooler, a little kid. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It has no, no basis on the task because you, you can worship God wherever you go and in all things. And this is a paradigm shift for a lot of us because we view worship as singing. We've just been, we've just been culturalized to believe that, but worship is, you can do it in all things and in all places. So that leads us to a question. If, if, if I can really worship God in everything, 
if I can worship God by being a mom, if I can worship God by going to work every single week, if I can worship God by, by mowing the lawn or going to school, my question this morning for a lot of us, myself, is how do I determine whether I'm worshiping or not? Because if I can do it in all things, how do I know if I'm actually worshiping in all things? And that's a question that we have to know the answer to. And really, worship is determined by the posture of your heart. Worship is determined not by outward appearances. It's not determined by how you do things. Worship is determined by the posture your heart lives in. In fact, this is what the Bible says about this. First Samuel, it says this. It says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord, he looks at the heart. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging and, and scary all at the same time. Because I know what sits in my heart some days. And I don't really want God to see it. But God, when it comes to worship, it's not determined by the actions you take. It's not determined in what you're doing. It has everything to do with the posture of surrender your heart lives in. And so you realize that you can come to a church service at one of our campuses or online. And during the songs, you can put your hands in the air and you can dance and you can sway and you can shout amen. You can give in the basket or online and you can still miss worship. Most of us, we do what everybody else does. We look at people and we're like, wow, that person has their hands in the air. They must truly be worshiping. But God doesn't look at that. God doesn't look at how you do things. God looks right here at your heart, and that's where he determines whether you're worshiping or not. So the question is, is how do we create this rhythm of worship in our life? How do we get to the place where worship is this rhythm? And Paul gives us this answer in another section of Scripture in Corinthians 10, 31 through 33. He says this. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And right here he gives us this recipe. He says, hey, it doesn't matter whether you eat or drink. This is probably the first thing on his head. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, here's how you know if you're worshiping. You do it for the glory of God. Of God. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, do all things to the best of your ability for God's glory. That's how we create a rhythm in our life. Whether you're being a mom, you're selling cars, whether you're going to work, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It has no, no balance on what you're doing. It has everything to do whether your desire is to bring God glory. And I think for a lot of us, that first part is easy. Man, I want to do everything I can to the best of my ability. I want to go to work. And I wanted to be the best employee. I want to go to school and I want to be the best student. And I don't think for a lot of us, that's the hard part. Like, hey, I want to be the best I can at what I do. But here's where it gets kind of tricky. You see, for a lot of us, I think we go to work and we become the best employee because we want the promotion. We want the paycheck. We want the glory. Some of us, we go, we go to school, high schoolers, we go to school and, and we go to college and, and we want our professors to notice how smart we are and we want our professors to notice me and I want to get the recognition and I want to get the promotion and I want to get the status because at the end of the day, it's, it's more about my glory than it is God's glory. And you truly step into worship when you can do things in your life to the best of your ability and you can look up at God and say, God, I don't want people to notice me. I don't need recognition for this, God. I don't need status for this. Ultimately, what I want is the people to notice how great you are through this. 
That's when you truly step into worship. That's where your heart and the posture of your heart comes in is when you decide no matter what I'm doing, whether it's the laundry or coaching T-ball, I'm going to do it as best as I can, and I want to bring glory to God through this. So be the best leader, wife, husband, single person, coworker, coach, whatever it is, you be the best you can, and you give God glory through it. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as if I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. And so here's the result of this. When you choose to do things the best of your ability to glorify God, what happens is you use your life to point people to Jesus. I love what Paul says here. He says, for I'm not seeking my own good. I'm not seeking accolades. I'm not seeking promotions or things. But I I am seeking for the good of many so that they may be saved. You see, when you do things to the best of your ability to bring God glory, the result of that is that people will look at your life and you will point to your Savior, your Redeemer, your Forgiver. Your life will be a representation of Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you know Christ is your personal Savior, do you realize that's your calling in life? I mean, your calling in life is not to accumulate a lot of things. It's not to be the smartest Christian. It's to use your life, as Paul says, for the good of people so that they would recognize their need for Jesus. You know, in, in Rochester, it's, it's, it's getting warm out, and it's almost summer, and it's construction season. Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> and everywhere you drive, whether it's 104, 590, 490, something with 90 in it, there's construction everywhere. I drove home last night, and I saw orange cones all over the roads. And I came across this one, this one sign. And you've probably seen this sign before. It says, it's bright orange, and it says, detour. You ever been there, detour? And I don't know who the guy is who comes up with the routes of the detours, but I feel like he sits in his office, and he's like, <laughs> I'm going to make this as long as it can be, and your GPS won't work, so you have to follow my signs. <laughs> If that's you, yeah, that's right. That's how I think about you. (laughs) So you're following the sign, and ultimately what a a detour sign is, is it's saying, hey, there's a better way. There's a safer way. If you don't go this way, you're going to be in trouble. And when you come across construction all summer long, like the month of summer, (laughs) that was a joke. (laughs) I knew you guys would get it. I knew it. Banking on you. When you come across construction and you see that sign detour, I hope it reminds you of your calling in life. Every time, I hope it annoys the snot out of you. I hope you hear my voice in your head. (laughs) And it reminds you, every time you see that sign detour, it reminds you of what God has called us to be as Christians as a detour. Because our life as we follow Christ is solely responsible of pointing people to Jesus. And I wonder how many of us, uh, as we live life and as we go about life, our life is actually doing that. Where people look at us and they don't even notice us. They notice something different about us because that's who Jesus is living inside of us. We're supposed to be a detour for everybody to see, hey, there's a better way. There's a different way. You don't have to struggle through life because there's a Savior who died for you and rose again for you to give you life and give it to you the fullest. Does your life detour people? So worship, it needs to be a rhythm. And as we close, I want to give you four practical ways that you can step into this rhythm uh, starting this week. 
I think one, I think for some of us, we have to identify the area in our life where we're not giving our all, we're not doing our best, and we need to transition it into worship. You see, I think for some of us, there's that job at work, there's that task at home that you can't stand. You know, that, that job that you wish you didn't have to do, for me, it's, it's emptying the dishwasher. I hate it. And my wife makes me do it. I hate it. But to recognize that, that minuscule, minuscule task, I can bring God glory through it. I really can. And I, I think we have to find those areas in our life where we're not giving our best. We're just going through the motions. We're just doing it because we have to. And we take that and we say, you know what, God? I'm not going to do this for anybody else, but I'm going to do it for you. And I'm going to do it with all I have. And I'm going to bring you glory through something stupid like this. What are those areas in your life that are so small and seem, seemingly insignificant that you can't stand? And maybe you transition those into worship coming this week. You say, I'm going to do this for you, God, and I'm going to bring you glory because I'm going to do it as best as I can. Secondly, I think one of the greatest ways to, to live out worship is through one word. It's called obedience. Obedience. Obedience to God brings him glory in worship. And I think for some of us, there are areas in our life where we know what God says and we're not being obedient. And I'm not going to give you an illustration of these things. You know what that is. I know what that is in my life. There's areas in our life we are choosing. We know exactly what God says, what he says. And we're just saying, hey, I'm going to go a different route, God. I think my way is better. And what is that area in your life where you're not being obedient to Christ? And I think if we really want to worship, we'll transition from that to what God says. We'll be obedient to him. Third, I think we need to commit to Sunday morning worship. There's a reason why our church calls our, our gatherings every Sunday as we call them worship services, because we want to give you an opportunity to engage in worship. And when we say worship, we don't mean just singing. What we want is we want you to encounter a God who is holy, who paid your price, who gave up his son for you so you can bring him glory. Man, the last thing I want when you walk out of the doors of our, one of our auditoriums or you shut your laptop watching online is the last thing we want as, as a church is for you to be like, wow, that church is amazing. The last thing we want in our desires, we don't want you to think, wow, that's a, that's a cool church. Man, they have amazing technology or they have the best bands or they have good messages. Honestly, when, we, when you walk out of one of these auditoriums or you close your laptop, we want you to say one thing, wow, God is amazing. Because we don't want the glory. We want him to get the glory. And it's found in our mission statement. We say it a lot like this, to make more and better disciples. But the full mission statement is our desire is to glorify God by making more and better disciples. Man, I pray that when you walk out of one of these services, you are just given an opportunity. You are led to engage in worship through opening God's word, through meeting and gathering together as the church, by, by listening to God's word, by singing songs, by handshaking and giving people smiles, by serving and watching your kids grow in their walk with God. I hope you get an opportunity to worship and bring God glory because that's why we're created. And so for some of us, it's just a matter of committing to that every single week. Some of us, we show up to church, you know, like sporadically or once a month. And I would just challenge you to commit, to come every single week. And whether that's Northridge Church or not, it doesn't really matter. 
Just find a local community, a local church in your community that you love and that you buy into and that you can use your gifts and commit to being there in a rhythm every single Sunday when you're in town. Whether that's Northridge Church or not, it doesn't matter to me. I just want you plugged into a local church. And then fourth, and this is the most practical, one thing that's cool about this message when we talk about worship is we're going to give you an opportunity to apply it today. Because tonight we have a, a night of worship, what we call a night of worship. We have services at 4 and 6.30, and we are going to give you an opportunity to respond to God's word today after our service by coming back and worshiping God. And we're going to worship God in multiple facets. Uh, starting at 4, 4.30, we're going to have food trucks, and we're going to worship God through food. If you can't worship God through a cheeseburger, there is no hope for you. Can I get an Amen. So we're going to have food and fellowship. We're going to worship God through those things. And then we're going to worship God through singing songs and opening up the word and just being together. And our whole purpose of these nights of worship are found in our title. We want to worship God. And so if, if you have some room in your calendar, we have two services, we would love for you to show up. If you want to cancel your plans, you can do that. I don't want you to feel guilty about not coming. It's the last thing I want you to do. But if you have an opportunity to come tonight, I promise you'll get an opportunity to worship God, and I promise you'll leave here encouraged. And so I would just challenge you, if you've got room, come tonight. Come hang out with us and have a good time. Because Paul, at the end of the day, he says, hey, we've kind of confused worship. It's not about singing. It's about our heart living in this posture of surrender to a holy God. That's how we bring him worship. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that we get the opportunity to just worship you. That in itself is a privilege. That the creator of the universe allows us to, to speak to you, to talk to you, to bring you praise. And so, God, thank you for that. I pray today that we would have the proper definition of worship, that we would understand what it is, and that we would step into it every single day, that our hearts over time would be in more surrender of you every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.